Welcome to the Bikepack Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike travel. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys. Through both mine and my guests' experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike travel and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. I want to thank Panorama Cycles, Redshift Sports, Restrap, Race Day Fuel, and Brockman Cyclery for supporting Bike Pack Adventures and helping to keep me on the bike. Check out the show notes for more information about these amazing companies. Thanks and keep on pedaling. Welcome to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike touring. You'll get insight into various cultures and countries around the world. They'll share fantastic stories of their journey, and through mine and my guest experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike touring and considering going on a tour, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. If you're already a bike tourer, I hope my guest stories allow you to relive some of your own experiences and give you a good laugh or two along the way. In the meantime, enjoy the show. Hey there, everybody. Welcome. Uh, just a few little housekeeping things before rolling onto the episode with Nomad Family by Bicycle. Oh, spring is in the air. I know people are often wondering what is going on with everybody. And uh, so just give you a little lowdown of what's happening here in Canada. Unlike all you listeners in the UK and California and whatnot, Canadian winters are pretty harsh. This year we had over a meter of snow just like in the yard in general. So if I tried to walk across the yard to the neighbors, I was almost up to my hips. So that's just to give you a general idea. We, we get quite a bit of snow where I am and I'm so glad it's gone. It melted early this year. This might sound weird, but April 1st is unusual to have so much snow gone and be able to be riding bikes. So yeah, I've been out for a few rides, some gravel riding. That's the, the goal for this year. Last year was the cross Canada bikepacking adventure, mostly on pavement, like 99%. This year, it's long-distance gravel routes, so keeping it local, keeping it my area, aside from maybe a short holiday out west again or something, but the plan is to just do stuff around Ontario and Quebec for the most part, and that's going to be, you know, lots of gravel, um, some kayaking, canoeing, camping trips, that kind of thing, just to, to get out in nature and kind of forget all about this COVID a bit, because as a teacher, it's pretty draining just you know, everybody's feeling it, including the kids and students at school, and it's, it's just exhausting. So, yeah. If you like the podcast, obviously, it goes without saying, I really appreciate it if you guys do support me. You can go to Patreon and search Bike Tour Adventures. Um, I've got three tiers set up, so $1, $3, $5 a month. And uh, with that, you get, you know, shout out in episodes. You can suggest guests, ask questions. And then I'm in the process of creating some tier-specific Thank you, such as stickers and patches and whatnot. So that would be awesome. Really 
I'm at the point of the year where I just renewed the IP address. I just renewed the WordPress host. Um, what else? Just renewed the theme for the podcast uh, on the website because I'm not an expert and they keep updating the stuff. So that's good. Coming up in July is the podcast um, server for all the podcast episodes coming up for renewal. So it just adds up and up and up and up and it's more and more all the time. So when it all comes at once, you're kind of like, whoa, hit hard. So podcast costs money. Patreon brings money. So if you like it, doesn't have to cost you much, even a buck. Much appreciated, guys. And of course, you can also find me on Instagram and keep abreast of all the different adventures I'm doing throughout the summer. And um, if you can't do that, can't do Patreon, no big deal. Go to iTunes. Give it a five star or Spotify or whatever podcast app you use. I really, really appreciate it. It does help the show grow as it builds exposure and gets more people seeing it, listening to it, and ultimately supporting it so I can do bigger and better things with the podcast. Um, also really appreciate the community support. So I just recently created a testimonials section at the bottom of the webpage on the homepage just to, to share some of the nice messages I get from people and um, really, you know, fills my heart with joy and keeps me producing. So when times get tough, it's nice to, to get those emails. So you can always shoot me an email at chris at biketoadventures.com or info at biketoadventures.com. Doesn't matter which one you use. On top of that, I have another idea. If people want to send me voice memos of where they are, where they're touring and stuff, you know, just let me know what's going on. Could be past guests, could be longtime listeners, people that are on an interesting tour and adventure. I will try to select some of these and play them at the start of podcast episodes just as a, as a nice little way of hearing what other people are up to. You can do that. Once again, just record an MP3 voice memo and email it to chris at biketoadventures.com or uh, info at biketoadventures.com. That would be really, really cool. That is it for now. Enjoy the show and keep on pedaling. In this episode of Bike Tour Adventures, I'll be speaking with Avier, Celine, Naila, and Phoebe Pache, the nomadic family by bicycle. Having been on a perpetual bike trip since 2010, both girls were born along the way, resulting in more authentic experiences in their short lives than many people accumulate over decades. More than just bike tours, the Pache family are nomads, writers, public speakers, and photographers. So, Javier, Celine, and of course, Nyla and Phoebe, welcome to the show. Hello. And for anybody out there, well, you'll hear me cut in the Nyla after because I I um, pre-recorded my little section with her. So, let's start talking. Um, tell us about yourselves. All right. So, um, so Xavier won't be here with me today, so I'll just be speaking, just just me, ah, just perfect. Celine. That, that, um, and um, so, basically, um, so we are four. Um, Xavier, me, and then little Phoebe is three years old at the moment, and Nyla is seven years old. And uh, I just like to take people straight away into the into the journey. Of, Let's do it into our life, basically. And uh, you can imagine being in 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 Nepal, in the Himalayas, and in a place where we're really in high altitude, and you can see the high summit, and there's only the you know the the vibrant silence and the breath of the wind. And this is where I got the, intu in the intuition that I was pregnant. And so I told Xavier that he was going to be a dad um, when we were facing Mount Everest and I was at 5,500 meter elevation. Oh, wow. 
so this is a little bit the magic of our life. Um, we're spending all the time together discovering the world, discovering the culture of the world as well as the landscape and the, the sceneries. And, um, and now we've been 10 years on the road. Uh, we cycle 78,000 kilometers on four continents. And um, as you said, our two daughters were born along the way. Beautiful. And when you guys started in 2010, what, what led to this? Uh, I believe you're from Switzerland, correct? Yes, we're from Switzerland. So um, Xavier, the idea of traveling by land from Switzerland all the way to New Zealand. Um, New Zealand is pretty much on the other side of the world from Switzerland. Mm -hmm. And so he had this idea and then he met um, a cyclist, somebody who was traveling by bicycle in Italy when he was climbing. And, um, and he decided, he said, wow, that's a great idea. So I'm going to, you know, cycle and I'm going to do this trip from Switzerland all the way to New Zealand on a bike. And I think a few weeks later we met and, um, Basically, we were a couple pretty soon, and then um, after not very long, I asked him if I could join him, and uh-huh. um, and so and so we decided, okay, in one year we'll start this journey from Switzerland all the way to New Zealand by bicycle. So it was pretty funny because um, I think that Savi is it's quite happy that actually asked um, that I asked him because every time it's pretty tough. He said, you know, you you choose. That was your choice <laughs> at that time. Nice. And what did you guys do in your your pre-touring life? So Xavier is a draftman architect. Okay. And I'm an anthropologist and mountain leader. And basically we decided to quit our job, um, sell the car, leave the apartment and just get on our bikes. Okay. And how did you go about preparing for this? Like... um... I mean, there's so much to do, I guess. That year must have gone by really quickly. Well, actually, it's very interesting because we didn't spend so much time preparing about the journey. So what we did is that we took a world map and I said, I want to go to, let's say, Mongolia. And Xavier said, I want to go to Tajikistan. And so we draw this line on, with, a, with a pencil. We draw this line to all the country we wanted to go and see. And that was, that was supposed to be our itinerary. And then, because we decided that we really wanted to enter the country as a white page, we didn't want to have any pre-idea of what it would be like. Mm-hmm. So we really decided not to get any information about the country, but really um, uh, arrive and step in the country with a really open mind and see what happened. And so we, uh, we actually didn't prepare so much about the countries. What we did what was really two things. And the first thing was to prepare the equipment ready. And the idea was to have the less weight possible to brave temperature that could go to one extreme from one extreme to the other. Okay. So that was part of one thing that was the preparation. And the other one was, um, was really taking time to design, to decide what was the line, what we would, um, what we wanted, what we, expect out of it what we wanted to experience what it would the idea was that we would have um to really think to really decide as a couple what was important for us and to decide as a as a person what was important for me and what was important for Xavier mm-hmm. and so the idea was that if you know that it's easier than 
to be in the same line, like to go on the same journey and not to have different expectations of what you really want to experience. So we really took time to think about what we wanted to experience. And by doing that, we decided that we will trust people. So in all the country we've been, and for the last 10 years, we never lock our bicycle everywhere we've been. Put them in front of the stall um, in the huge parking of a huge supermarket, and we leave them for an hour or two in absolute trust of, in humanity, and nothing have ever been stolen to us. Actually, we were in Dhaka, so we're in Bangladesh. So Bangladesh is considered as one of the, one of the poorest countries in the world, mm-hmm. and we were in Dhaka. And when if you've been in in Bangladesh, it's it's like a human vortex. There's it's an anthill. There's so many people. The density, the human density, is very very high in in Bangladesh. So Dhaka, in the center of the city, it's it's just mad. It's crazy. It's a hustle and bustle, and the, the, all the senses are, are pretty much at saturation. And so we were there, and at that time, we lost something out of our bicycle. And that was, it wasn't properly fixed. And somebody saw the bag falling down and he managed to pick it up and to follow us through the human obstacles to give it back to us. Oh, wow. So either you're really, really lucky <laughs> or there's really some kind of greater power at work here. Well, I didn't Well, yeah, I think there's, I, I think that we trust human and I think, um, I think you really send to the world what you you, mm-hmm. you you really receive what you send to the world. At the same time, we don't say that we never listen to our intuition. Um, so if at one time we feel that our intuition tell us that it's not okay, we will listen to that. Okay. So I'm not saying that we never locked our bicycle, but if we feel that we're not comfortable, we might you know, do something else or just savvy is going. Yeah. But you still have to, you still time, have to judge every event on its own. Yeah. Yeah. You just did in the, in, in the present moment, Okay. you know, how do you feel now? But basically we, in every country, we leave them unattended in front of like in the middle of the street. Okay. That's very cool. I, I know your original loop to New Zealand and I say loop because it had a kind of figure eight, through the Himalayas, why this big extra loop? And um, yeah, maybe it, it'll lend us more insight into your your mindset. Yeah. So actually, so when we started, um, as I said, the preparation, we didn't spend so much time preparing about the country. So the idea was really to let the wind carry us and to let, you know, all the... Um, to to just listen to what happened, to listen to the people that would take us on different path, and that's how we ended up, you know, traveling in Syria and discovering Syria just before the war. We actually we we left Syria two weeks before the first sign of the Syrian war burst out in the country. So we really we we really let the wind taking us in in some places, and um, and at the end when we reached new zealand we looked at our our path and it revealed the symbol of infinity oh, and the first okay. loop was around the the um, the altai the sacred the sacred mountain of the altai which is in siberia and the other one was around the um, the high mystical peak of the of the himalayas so it's quite interesting and it, it was really done we didn't we never planned it it really appeared um following the wind Okay. And our intuition. Okay. I was kind of wondering if that was planned or not. So that's a great way. 
No, it was not at all planned. We actually, we arrived in, um, so we arrived in Kyrgyzstan in Central Asia and it was in summer. So we had two choices. Either we would go to China, so we would go um, east, mm-hmm. or we would go north to Mongolia because we really wanted to see Mongolia. So that was part of a, a country we wanted to visit. And so at that time, uh, we've just crossed the, the, the Tajikistan, so the Pamir. The Pamir mountain is it's an amazing place. Um, you basically cycle at 4,000 meter elevation, and around you, you have majestic peak that goes at 7,000 meter yeah. elevation. So it's basically on a dirt road. Um, you spend two weeks in the middle of nowhere in the mountains, and it's just stunning landscape. It's amazing. Uh, it was pretty harsh at the time, but at the same time, the land just offers the most sumptuous landscape you can imagine. And so we had this energy of, you know, this this, this land was really the place where we, we felt that kind of there was no limit that we could, you know, send our purest wish in the, mm-hmm. our purest dream in even in the wind and that everything would appear. It was just so magical. And so at that time, we decided that uh, after that, we had the feeling that we could go to Mongolia. So we decided to hit the road towards the north and knowing that um, it was basically going to be a race before the Siberian winter. Yeah. And the idea was to spend some time in Mongolia during the winter, which actually never happened because we didn't get the visa. But yes, we get the oh, visa, no. but we couldn't extend it through the winter. So we sh- cycled all the way to Siberia. We hit the winter at the end of Siberia. Um, we're cycling by uh, minus 20. It was pretty intense and then at that time we arrived in Mongolia and um, and we couldn't have a six months visa so we decided um, that we would try to cross in winter and um, we didn't cross it but we did part of it okay uh, bye bye and you mentioned that you you realized you were pregnant when you were um, in the Himalayas looking at Mount Everest were there any thoughts at that point that this is the end of the tour or like what went through your guys' heads? So that was very interesting. Um, after about one year and a half along the journey, we really had the feeling that it was becoming more than a journey, but it was becoming our life, that we were becoming nomads. And so a little bit later, um, we really had the feeling that, well, if it was our life, then why not be o- open to the idea of having a child and so it wasn't like a desire it wasn't a decision to have a child it was just we open ourselves to the idea that it could happen and if it happens why not because it's our life and so I think uh, Naila heard it from a from somewhere else and she was pretty excited to be a a nomad on a bike so (laughs) yeah I'm here I'm here I'm coming so then she um yeah I got pregnant pretty soon okay and as Nyla mentions uh, towards the end of the podcast, she was born in Malaysia, in Penang, right? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, as I just said, so you were saying also, was it the end of the of the trip? Well, when I got pregnant, because, it, again, it was our life and we decided, we already kind of made the decision that if a baby would come, we would, we would still be nomad. So it wasn't, it didn't change that decision. Okay. But, of course, there's a lot of change change that happened in my body um so what we did is that we decided that we will try 
So we decided to try to cycle pregnant. At the end, I cycled until I was seven months pregnant, uh, cycled through until I was seven months pregnant. And then I I, um, I cycled until the last day, but we were settled somewhere, mm-hmm. actually in Penang in Malaysia. And um, and then when we decided to leave, it was the same thing. When she was five months old, we decided to leave again. And, and at that time, it wasn't a challenge again. It wasn't the, the idea to really take her to this life. It was just trying as a family to live this life and day by day realize that that's what we really wanted and that um yeah we wanted to be nomad as a family oh amazing yeah so i imagine it got pretty tough to keep riding uh at touring anyways um while pregnant i presume you just started to cut some mileage out of the days and take it more reasonably right yeah you just have to listen to your body really I think the hardest thing is um, because so when you're pregnant, you're not sick, you just your body's changing. But because I was cycling all the time, because it was already part of my daily life, um, it, it, it didn't change. It, it's not so I think if you if you are pregnant and then you decide to go on a trip, that'd be hard. But because yeah. our body, my body was already used to it, then it was OK. And then I was I I was used to listen to my body, so that was that was part of um, who I am, and so it was that was the easy part. Cycling, the most d- difficult part is that when you're in a journey, you never know what's going to happen, so you're always in the unknown, and so that was sometime um, having the feeling that you have to stop. That could be difficult. I think the the hardest part when you're pregnant is that. The body reacts completely different to what you're used to. So when you're not pregnant, you can you can you know where you are in your limit. Like you mm-hmm. know, okay, now I'm, I'm starting to get tired. Now I still have you know you know how much you are into your your you know how much energy you have. Like you can you can actually you kind of know how much further you can go. Yeah, for sure. But when you're pregnant, there's time where you're fine. And then the next minute, you're not, and you need to stop. So the idea of like being able to predict predict mm-hmm. when you'll be tired is impossible. So it's kind of more tricky. Like you have to do more smaller breaks yeah. or to really like always you can prepare do a lot. to stop. Like I cycled yeah. at seven months pregnant, and it was probably forty degrees outside in Malaysia, and I was still cycling, and I was okay, and I think I, I, I was fine. But um, but you just have to really be to listen to just the moment and not to mm-hmm. predict anything, but just to listen and, and to be quite aware of what's happening now. Okay. And yeah, um, we're in Penang, I mean, one of my favorite parts of Malaysia, hands down. Awesome. Uh, where were you staying in Penang? Uh, Batu Ferengi. Oh, you're in Batu Ferengi. Okay, nice. And did you guys rent a place or were you connected through somebody and had like a home share or something? No, we we actually decided to rent something mm-hmm. um, for for the time um, to really welcome our daughter and um, and really take time to to I guess enter this transition yeah. to become parents and um, and really take time to settle down and to welcome our daughter and uh, and to find a balance that was very important because before we leave to really you know be a balance the four of us the three of us and then the four of us Um, but Malaysia was a perfect place because we had the view on the ocean and uh, in Batu Ferengi we're very close to the to the 
to the jungle. So we would, mm-hmm. you know, go in the jungle. The jungle was just at the back. The ocean was in the front. And we could, um, there's something very special in Malaysia that I really enjoy. And that is, is kind of, I think Penang is really, Penang is very special in Malay, within Malaysia. It's special because there's three, um, there's the Malay people, but there's also the Chinese mm-hmm. minority and the Indian minority yeah. that, that lives there. And they live there very, it's incredible how it, the, they live like a really like a global village where everyone respects each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you see a woman that wear the veil that is entering the same place than a, a Chinese woman with, with tiny shorts. Yeah. Yeah, Malaysia is pretty amazing. Like you can see temple, Taoist temple next to churches, mm-hmm. next to Hindu temple. Like there's there's something pretty amazing about it. And it's not perfect. Like people who like when you live there long enough, you know that it's not yeah, perfect. Sure. But still, it's incredible how peaceful it is. Like they really make it work. Mm-hmm. So you guys stayed all in all. How long were you in Malaysia? Like less than a year, I presume. So well, two months before the birth, and then um, and then seven months after. Okay. Uh, so five months after, so seven months, and then we actually. So after, so that was our first daughter was born during the first trip all the way to New Zealand, and after New Zealand, we decided to to write a book. So we spent a few months in Malaysia again to write the book. Oh, okay. um, before we went back to Switzerland for just four months, that was the only time when we went back to Switzerland um, and uh, to meet our family, to see our family. And we did some talk and, and sell our books. The, body, the book is called Nomad in the Heart of the Elements. Mm-hmm. And um, the idea was to write, to take the elements. So there's um, there's a four element that we know, the, the air, the fire, the earth and um, the land. And um, sorry. Earth and fire, or oh, water, water. <laughs> yeah, and then and then, uh, but then we took the Chinese one, so we took the ah. wind and the metal too, and then the idea was that every element is a teaching that we learn along the way, and so the, it's not a the idea is not to make the whole story, but to take the teaching of what we learn during the journey, and every teaching within um, is in like an element that represents one teaching. So we did this book, and then after our our life was really about um... time for a quick interruption to thank some of the Bike Tour Adventure partners. The Bike Tour Adventures podcast is proud to be partnered with Redshift Sports, founded in 2013 by a team of mechanical engineers who happen to be avid cyclists. They've been focused on creating components that make a meaningful difference to the riding experience, such as the Switch Aero System the shock stop suspension system, and the kitchen sink handlebar system. I've been using the dual position seat post paired with the shock stop stem since 2020 and have nothing but great things to say about their products. Beginning in 2010 with environmental sustainability as the main focal point, Restrap has been in the bag making business for quite some time. Having used a race bag since 2021, I find their holster system and magnetic buckles to be extremely effective and truly unique. Named after the animals that roamed the Tibetan Plateau, Cheru Endurance Bikes was started by Pierre-Arnaud Le Magna in 2009. After noticing a lack of endurance bikes on the market, Pierre used his expertise, know-how, and racing experience to create high-end carbon fiber and titanium bikes for the discerning rider and racer. 
for discount codes, check out the show notes or go to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast website. Our life was really about, um, about we, we really decided it was about being nomad. And so we wanted to have another project because sometimes when it's really hard, mm-hmm. it's nice to go somewhere. Yeah. Even if New Zealand at one time completely disappeared in the picture, um, that we would go in the opposite direction even sometimes, but um, it was still a goal somewhere. It was still somewhere that we would, that we imagined that would carry all our idea about our life or about our vision of our life, mm-hmm. about our nomadic dream. And so um, having this destination really helped us. So we decided to do another project and to keep the idea of having a project, even if we knew it was going to change anyway. And so we um, we decided to cycle around the great northern horizon of the world. So we started in Hokkaido in northern Japan, and then we cycle um, then we cycle a little bit in in Japan. And then I was pregnant again. So after opening the world map and looking at a few places that we could I could give birth, we were actually trying to find a natural. Um, I wanted a natural birth. Okay. So. Um, that was one of the things we were looking at when we were looking at places to give birth um, with visa, with um, recognition of the child. So there's quite a lot of things to look at. Mm-hmm. And at the end, everything once again converted towards Penang in Malaysia. And uh, the funny thing is that when I jumped in the plane um, from South Korea to go to, um, to, to, actually it was from Taiwan to go to, to Penang in Malaysia, TV flipped in my belly, like went upside down, the head down, just telling me basically I'm ready to, ah, okay. to be born there. So, so both so kids yeah, were, we okay. I, yeah, I was, I was under the impression that uh, Phoebe was born in Japan, but she was born in Malaysia, yeah? No, she was born in, yeah. She was, um, yeah, she arrived in my, she arrived in Japan, but she was born in uh, in Malaysia. I got it. Okay. Um, can I ask, what was it like? Just to jump back, I know after your first, um, first after uh, Nyla was born, what was it like to start touring again and having this young child? Um, how did that change the dynamic? And maybe, I don't know, what kind of things could you share about that? Yeah. So the first thing was that um, leaving was really, really, really difficult. Uh, the first thing is that we had so many questions. There was tons of questions. And we didn't know anyone that had um, started traveling with a five-month-old baby. Uh, so we really, mm-hmm. we had no one to really answer our question. And we really had to let go on all the questions we had. But we also had to let go, you know, we you really have to take the minimum. So we had to take the minimum. Um, so you really get down to having very simple thing for your child and then the same thing you need to let down of all your questions and all your worries and all everything and uh so that was that was pretty intense and um you didn't know like we had you know how do you manage to um you know take the needs of your baby and breastfeeding and the necessity of the road and the immersion in the new culture and uh, and the weather changes and and all, and being in the unknown all the time because we never know where we sleep at night we never know where we'll pitch our tent 
And so we had all of that at the same time. And so we it was pretty intense. The, the first two weeks was quite hard just because there was so much in us that we had to let go on. And it's a little bit what I think that was, I think what we experienced during this journey is really to dive into the unknown. Um, basically, as I said, we never know where we'll camp at night, but we never know what's going to be around the next curve. We never know what's going to happen in the next 10 minutes. And so we're doing that now with two children. And so we really learn to trust life. And I think that's one of the message that um, I want to, I want to give during that time of COVID is Mm -hmm. that everybody now is experiencing a little bit of that diving into the unknown. We can't, we can't, our agenda now is changed. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. And so everybody is a little bit to dive into the unknown, not knowing what's going to happen. But what we found out is that every time we found a place to sleep, every time we could pitch our tent somewhere, and uh, and that slowly, slowly by slowly, we by trusting life, we realize it how we were guided. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, um, we, we crossed the Nullarbor Desert in Australia with, um, with Nyla when she was one and a half year old. So the Nullarbor Desert is a desert of 1,200 kilometers between two small towns. You can imagine that um, if we think about Quebec, that'll be from basically Ottawa all the way to Gaspé. Yeah, it would be. Yep. And there's seven petrol stations in between. Imagine and that. that's it. <laughs> and so we, so to explain a little bit how it happened, um, we, it's a, it's a little bit of a long story. We didn't jump into that desert like that. Like mm-hmm. it was a long process to really decide um, first to cycle in Australia to reach that place at the beginning of the desert, and then um, just before that, Xavi actually broke his uh, freewheel. So. We were stuck in the middle of nowhere. Finally, we could find a pickup, um, a ute, as they say in Australia. And then we put everything in the pickup. And it drove us, I think, two hours to reach the uh, one of the town. And we, in our mind, we really let go on the idea of cycling across the desert, thinking it was just a crazy idea. If something like that would happen, we'd be in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, that it was just insane. But the two hours we spent in the car was the most terrible two hours we've spent in the whole time in Australia. We were so bored. It was so incredibly boring. Like we couldn't feel the wind on our skin. We couldn't smell anything. It was just so annoying. So when we reached the town, we said, one one thing is sure, we will never drive it. Okay. So then we decided we still had the problem of the freewheel. So he went to the only small sports shop that was there and he found a free wheel. Like they found a free wheel. That was incredible. But even more, Nyla's, um, the, the, Nyla's tires, um, well, the trailer, Nyla's tires in, the, in her trailer, oh, they yeah. actually, the, the road in Australia are so tough for the, because of the road train that they, they tear the tire like they were nearly wow. gonna they were gonna burst there was no way we could cycle with these tires on the nullarbor and so we needed to find 18 inch t- uh, tires and it's nearly impossible to find them in australia if you don't order them and there we could find tires that size there was no way in the world we could find them so we decided well okay maybe it's a sign maybe we should try 
And so we had another, I think, 300 kilometers or, I don't know, 200 kilometers maybe to reach the last town. And then we waited until we reached the town and we said, okay, now we can decide, you know, we we knew the dominant wind. So we knew we we're going to have headwind the whole way, basically. We knew they're going to gonna be, we went the, not the, perfect season we could have heat waves coming in mm-hmm. um we knew a couple of we had all the information the factual information about the crossing like we knew where we could find water we knew what was gonna a little bit what it was gonna be like but what we do always when we do a crossing like that is to feel inside us what what we feel is it right for us to try or is it not right for us to try and usually Xavier is doing that and I'm doing what I'm doing it. And if one of us is saying no, then we, we, we just find another solution. But at that time, both of us said, I think it's okay. So what we did is that we had to prepare two um, boxes of food that we asked Karen driver to drop along the way. Mm-hmm. Because you can imagine 1,200 kilometers. If you are just a couple, you can, you can cycle maybe 100 k's. You can push it to 120 k's and make it like a, a challenge. Yeah. But when we, you're with one of your old kids, you can't do that. So it took us 19 days to cross these 1,200 kilometers. So we had to we send box of food along the way, and when we left the the last town, we had 10 days of food and 60 liter of water. Uh, I was going to ask how much. How, how did you carry all that water? Uh we had a trailer. Okay. For the food and and the water. So you had the one yeah. one bike had the uh, baby trailer and then another bike had a a storage trailer, yeah. Yeah, a trailer with uh with the food and and uh and part of the water. Okay, yeah. and you were saying about the there was daily- water everywhere basically. I was going to ask you in general after um, Nela what came along. Um, what was your? How did that change? How far you rode in a day? Like what what did your distances get cut in half approximately? Okay. Or? Yeah, so with distances, we, we didn't change so much. Um, yes, we did, but no, we didn't. Uh, so ex- let me explain. We usually cycle 50 to 60 kilometers a day when we're a couple, just okay. because we're in places that there's so much cultural differences and so many things to learn with people. Mm-hmm. And we took time to learn the languages and spend time with the people that usually 50 to 60 kilometers a day was just a good average to discover the thing, to cycle, to find, I don't know, to just live. Mm-hmm. And um, and so when she was she came along, we didn't really shorten that. 50 to 60 kilometer a day was still good. But what we did is the change that we did is that um, we stopped more often. So we yeah. do more often like one day break. So when we're a couple, we would do like maybe six day, one day off. And then... With a baby, it's more like three day, one day, four day, two days, something okay. like that. Okay. Yeah. And once again, it depends because that's just an idea because some places in the world you'd cycle for like 10 days and then you have to step stop for, for I don't know, at least a week in the, in the capital city in order to have the next visa. So that really changes a lot. Mm-hmm. And so also what we found out is 50 to 60 kilometer a day is a good average for us to keep on doing it for a long time. Uh, but when we're in Canada, places like Canada, there's places that you have to cycle more. When we're crossing um, Alaska and the Yukon, we had to cycle 70 kilometers a day just in order to reach 
water and food point. Water, not so much, but food point. Yeah, yeah. Here, while we're talking about that, did you guys cycle? Did you go through a town in BC called Smithers? Yes. Did you guys uh, stay with Lothar and uh, what was his na- wife's name? Deb? Uh, warm showers? Yeah, kind, uh, kind of. We didn't actually stay with them because we were going on a trip. Well, we stayed one night with them and then okay. they left on a trip. But oh, yeah, okay. we met them. That's so funny. Yeah, I, I met you. them last summer as well when I was cycling up from BC to Yukon and they actually talked about you guys and they said, oh, there's a Swiss couple that's cycling with their kids and they're staying in Haynes Junction. And then I only pieced it together yesterday. I was like, oh, that's them. Hey. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're yeah. really amazing. They're amazing couple. Uh, they did pretty uh, pretty amazing things in their life too. Yeah, their cycle tour is also a pretty awesome sounding. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a small world, isn't it? Oh yeah, very small. That's why we keep meeting people on sometime on the road. Just um, you know, like we entered Quebec and we met some people that we haven't met in in a long time, and they they just we just happened to see them on the side of the road, and it's just crazy. Oh, that's amazing. I wanted to ask also with regards to um, having children while touring, and I know on your homepage it says six years of breastfeeding, so I presume that's around three years per girl. Um, I mean, I know that that's a, that's a, to see, to me, that seems like a long, long time of breastfeeding. And, but I guess when your, your job is to ride a bike and do, I mean, obviously you guys have a ton of projects on the go, but you're there with your child. So it's a great way to, to bond. Um, but I'll also know that it takes a lot of energy to breastfeed. So how did you manage with breastfeeding and cycling and stuff? Cause I think that would be quite draining. Yeah. So the breastfeeding is very interesting. The, the, so with the energy level, the first part, when you're breastfeeding at the beginning, it's pretty demanding um, for your body. Mm-hmm. But um, maybe after, I would, I would say before six months, but maybe around six months, uh, the body get kind of used to that also. Okay. And so as after that you also start to introduce some 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 other food um, i started pretty late i actually i think around 8 or 9 months but the the body is used to that so um, after a while it looks like it doesn't change anything uh, for your for your body you you don't i i didn't feel that that was tiring at all but my body was just used that was the normal okay yeah after a while. Yeah, I thought yeah. I'd ask because I think for, for some women out there that might have young kids, they're thinking that, hey, we could tour. It's doable. But I think the the most amazing part is that breastfeeding is much more than giving food. Um, it Well, first, it's amazing because when you're cycling around the world, you have milk that is ready at any time that is a perfect temperature. Mm-hmm. You don't have to worry about sterilization or anything. Yeah. So it's just perfect, right? So that, I mean, cycling, touring and breastfeeding is, I think, the best thing ever. Um, um, your child is, it's its just perfect, the perfect food for your child. And it's free. And of course, it is also the perfect food for your child anyway. And so keep breastfeeding my, of course, the the, the it was changing, change from being, you know, only breastfeeding to breastfeed maybe only morning and night or just a night, mm-hmm. but um, it, it just the evening. I would say it was, it was just. Um, I think it's a really great way to keep the connection, to keep the the, the attachment, and um, to really to really nurture your child, 
And and I think that most of the research that are found out now about uh, breastfeeding, um, like breastfeeding for a long time, is is good. Mm, I think for mm-hmm. the child. And and the thing is that when 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 I stopped for both of them, they were ready to stop, and it was fairly easy for me and for them to stop, which was a sign that probably um, we were okay to move on the next uh, step. And it wasn't it wasn't a big deal. It was just very slowly, very gentle, and we moved on to the next thing like that. Okay, very cool. Just to change things up, uh, I want to ask: Do the girls? being the the world travelers that they are at this age, have they been able to pick up languages pretty quickly? I guess this particularly towards Nyla because she's a little bit older. Um, has she learned a lot of stuff in the various countries? Yeah. Um, Nyla can, they both um, bilingual, so they can speak French and English. Uh, they actually, they speak French with us, but when they play together, they mostly speak English. Oh, interesting. It's pretty funny. So children is, for me, Naila started realizing, I think she was maybe three years old. Um, so Naila has been, she, she, she went in a lot of different countries with a lot of different languages. Mm-hmm. So uh, here was really, she had to adjust to many, many different kind of languages. And, and she would say, you know, like she was perfectly fine to, she would knew, knew already some lang- some words in, in every country we've been and, and, uh, you know, even when they one one year old, they they understand what mean what um, goodbye means in the local languages, mm-hmm. and they would wave. So th- that's fairly easy. But then, um, when she was three years old, she she one day she decided to play with one of her toy, one of her like a stuffed animal, and she said, "This one, she only speaks English." And that's how we started to really speak English together. And because it was cold, it was it was uh, end of fall, beginning of winter. So we spent a lot of time. It was dark, cold. We spent a lot of time in the tent. So maybe we spent two hours playing playing in English. And what what she found out is that she had the desire to speak in English once she realized that if she wanted to communicate with the outside world, she had to speak in English. Okay. And since then, her English. I mean, she's fine. She's completely. She's completely fine in English, and Phoebe had the same thing. She was she was with us, and then we were in the in the in the Yukon, and she realized it, that she she wanted to speak with the outside world. She had to speak in English, so that's how she picked it up, and and she basically speak it very well. And then now with other languages, Nile, I can speak a little bit of Japanese, um, also of Chinese. They learn a little bit of like they learn songs in Chinese. They, yeah. But that's their main language. In other languages, they can just say a few words, but they don't remember so much. Uh, but yeah, what is incredible, I think, is that when they they when they are with people, like when they are okay, when 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 they are surrounded by other languages, their ears get really good at hearing other sounds mm-hmm. and so whenever Nyla and Phoebe they, they speak with other people they can say it back straight away so for example in China in Chinese language there's four tone and so if you don't say the perfect tone you you you're, you say a completely different word mm-hmm. so let's say if I say I don't know uh, country if I say country or country it's not the same word yeah 
for us it would be the same, but for them it's not. And so the intonation is really important. And so Naila, she can say it straight away. Like they say it once, she repeat it, and she's perfect. Oh, wow. And we That's... can try, and we should try 25 times, yeah. and we don't even know where it's wrong. Because yeah. Because we can't yeah. hear the difference. Yeah, I lived in Malaysia. So I know, it's it. driving me nuts. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, completely nuts. Yeah, yeah, because you know the words, you know how to pronounce it, but you just don't have the perfect tone, and they just don't get it. And so that's very frustrating. Well, Naila, it's so amazing that when when she spent time with a friend, then when we leave the friend, we basically travel with the same friend for about two weeks just because she's spe- speaking exactly the same than a friend. Like she get the same intonation, the same word. The, it's pretty like it's she's like a chameleon. And do you find like um, when she's been hanging out, let's say in China with a little Chinese friend and stuff, after when she's speaking in French or English, does she have a bit of an accent that's slightly different for a while or no? Well, we don't notice it necessarily, but some people when we're in Yukon, some people said that she sounded like a when she speaks in French, she sounded like an English person. Like oh. a like an English speaking like she that her mother tongue was English. Oh, okay. So that was that was very funny for us. Oh, well, since we're talking about all this, uh, let's talk education. I know that, um, you know, obviously you guys are doing some kind of homeschooling or whether you follow a system or not. I was just kind of wondering, how do you manage schooling and educating the the girls while um, traveling? And how do you fit it into your daily routine? So the first thing is that we've noticed traveling like that around the world, everything is an excuse to learn. Mm-hmm. And it is so true that, you know, they learn, as we said, they learn languages with the people. Um, they know geography because they've been there. They learn history because they, you know, we learn through the history of the country or through the monuments. And then, you know, we see we've been cycling in front of a statue of Lenin. So you speak about Lenin, of course, in in in, in Russia. And so everything is an excuse to learn. And what is amazing is that we don't, we're not necessarily the teacher. We don't know necessarily everything. And that's what is great. Like the other day in the in the prairies, when I cycled through the Canadian prairies, we met the antelopes. And we didn't even know there was antelopes. Mm-hmm. But we saw them and we were really like we we're really surprised. And so we we opened them, we we then we then check about the antelopes and what they do and what they eat and what is special about them. And so we learn together. And that's a perfect way to, for learning for them because we follow their interest also. Um, so every time they're asking question, we, we take time to answer the question. And so it's they kind of learning as they go. And, you know, they're learning that um, different different way of being and, and in different culture. For example, you know, like, how can, I, how can I tell my child that she's not allowed to eat with fingers? Because in India, they were eating with fingers. Absolutely. Um, in, then you, you move to another country, you go in Japan, they eat with chopstick. Then when you move to another country, they eat with spoon. So every time they see different way of doing things and different way of, of being. And so they get, you know how children are like sponge, they, they take all of that. And so they really learn by experimenting. So concept like a desert or concept like a religion is not something that they understand into the, the, the mind. They really live it. 
And so it's very different. Like mm-hmm. they know what a desert is because they've been through the, de- the Gobi Desert in Mongolia, for example, and they really dive into that, immerse into the desert. And then they know what it feels to live in high altitude. They know, you know, they know how to pray a Taoist God, or they know how to pray, I don't know. They, they just, and, and because they learn through people also, uh, it's a completely different way of learning than just learning by by books or mm-hmm. by it's when when somebody is passionate about something and it explain you how he does it and why he does it and what it feels to him then it's it's very very different um for example in in the next few days we'll also will be uh, trying to see how to will we make some um uh, maple syrup so also that's new once again, experiences and they they doing it like they would take the bucket uh, with the and and make the syrup. Yeah, and get the sap and a, then boil it. And... Yeah, that's a that's a that's a really great way to that's a really great way to learn and 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 in a way, the the learning experiences are everywhere. But then we also take time to to sit down, of course, in front of the tent and uh, and we learn to. Think, do things like reading or writing or math, um, mathematics. Mm-hmm. But once again, it's you know there's always a purpose behind it. Um, at the moment, she was doing project. So the other day, she wanted to learn about the um, the Great Wall of China. So she she wrote the she she did the calligraphy. She learned the calligraphy to write the Great Wall of China. Then she learned the Chinese name. Then she learned how to pronounce it. <laughs> and then she drew it. And then she wrote. We we wrote some things about the Chinese wall. And then she had to select which information was the most important. And then to rewrite it. And then and then once everything was done, she would present it to her sister. Can you tell us about the Les Enfants du Monde, or Children of the World project that you guys are working on? I thought that was really interesting. Oh yeah. So along the way, we um, we inter- we interview some families, especially some children, and so we've we've been introducing um, Sylvia and Rose, for example, in the Yukon, and, um, and 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 so in every country, not in in a lot of countries we've been, we've introduced some children about something special that they do that is usually related to the country. Um, so, for example, um, Canon in uh, in Japan was doing some Japanese taiko, so the the traditional drum, and so it's um it's a great. So basically, what we do is we it's unfortunately only in French at the moment. Mm-hmm. We're trying to translate it in English. Well, if you we go on, if if people yet. do go on Google like Chrome and you just translate to English, you can right click it. I mean, I do read French, but it's easier to read English, so I just write, I just translate it to English, and I was just reading it. Yeah. So basically, there's some small brochures about every kids that we interviewed, and it's a way to really learn about the culture and. Um, how people live in that country. So the idea was that when we when we cycle, especially in Europe, it was really really funny for us because people would say, "Okay, in the next country, be very very careful because <laughs> you know people are not so good." And so we would say, "Okay, so you know what happened? Have you been there? What, what was wrong?" And then people would say, um, "I've never been there, but I know." Yeah. And then 
it was it was happening a lot. And then we say, well, you know, we came to your place, but we didn't know you, and we had a fun time. You know, why would you not do that in the, the other country? And they would say, oh, no, 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 you can't do that. And what we realized is that people, even if they don't know the other person, they might judge them. So we wanted to, it was a way for us to get to know the other person, to see that basically we're all kind of the same. You know, we, we're very different in a way. And at the same time, we're very similar. And um, when we, we really basically want the same. And so the idea was really to just give, it, the brochures are really written for children. So the idea is just that children can read the, or even in classes, a lot of classes, uh, schools in Switzerland take these brochures to just teach about other countries. Ah, very nice. And they don't have necessarily to teach only about that, but it's like a, an opening to teach about more, I don't know, but there's lots of different links to different things that you could um, go and, and, and look further on about that country but it's just kind of another view of the of the country through the eyes of one child nice and do you you spend then the girls spend quite a bit of time with that child too and learn some of the cultures and traditions yeah usually it's usually they spend time together yeah usually it's somebody that we learned to we met and that was with that happened to do that something happened to, to like i don't know that the girls get along or mm -hmm. that something happened. And then because we, we take time to interview them, to see her, to go maybe sometime in the school, to go to see what she's doing. And usually Nyla, um, well, it was mostly Nyla because Phoebe was too small, but mm -hmm. it, it would change soon. But Nyla would attend also the things. So she would try to do, uh, she tried to do some Apkido. She tried to do some, as I said, Taiko. So she would try to do also things that the children were doing. Okay. And so it, it's um, most of the time it, it's um, at the end of the, of the interview, we, we are friends because we stayed a, a few days to a week or even more sometimes together. So on that note, how do you plan how long to stay in each place or uh, how often do you take breaks and how long are they? No, we never plan that. We don't know. No, just the wind, um, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We we um, One of the biggest thing is the visa. So mm -hmm. in some places you can have South Korea, it's a small country, if you have three months visa, uh, China, um, we had uh, we crossed from six, the six thousand kilometer between Shanghai to um, Central Asia mm -hmm. uh, within three months, two months and a half actually. So you you don't you don't um, the the visa thing is it's very for us it can it can be two things. One thing can be very frustrating uh, because it's sometimes it's complex. It's uh, we don't really know where to find the information, what is the right information and um, how much you'll get as a, how much visa you'd get, how much day, how many days you'll get. But at the same time, we decided not to get frustrated about it because we couldn't change. Yeah. We couldn't change any of it. So we decided to take it as something very different. It was just, for us, it just to give us different rhythm, different pace. So in some country where we have lots of time in a small country, we can take time to really go in small places and to to really discover or spend if we need more time to rest. And in other places, we know that we're going to have to cross and to go pretty fast. Okay. And, I, and then but, there's like Canada, a medium-sized country. <laughs> um, and you guys have been here for a while now, right? Yeah. When yeah. did you guys arrive in Canada? 
I think July in 2019. Okay. And how did you stay so long in Canada? Because I think like that's quite a so, while. So, um, because we're very friendly, so when we arrive at the border <laughs> in the Yukon, you know, we we went in the in the land border between Alaska yeah. and uh, and the Yukon, and uh, we just asked if we could stay. We we it was I don't remember beginning of mid. June maybe or July something like that, mm-hmm. and so when we arrived, we 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 told them well we wanted to cycle across Canada, but Canada is a long way, mm-hmm. and so we won't have time to cycle it before the winter. So is it possible to have the end of the summer or the winter, and then another summer to cross Canada? And so they said yes. So we could stay until September um, 2020, and then be. Because of COVID, for once it's positive, ah, so yes. um, we could ask um, a prolongation of our visa, mm-hmm. an extension of our visa, which we did, and um, we're still waiting for the answer. And as we wait, we're allowed to stay in Canada. So that's how we ended up staying longer. Okay. But, um, yeah, we don't know when we'll um, have the answer. We're just yeah. waiting for the yeah. answer. Okay, interesting. So in, uh, in Lac Saint-Jean, um, I think in Haynes Junction, you guys were house sitting, or did you rent up there? I believe I, I heard you were house sitting. Um, yeah, we were actually there was a hostel there, mm-hmm. so we were kind of house sitting the hostel and ah, okay. uh, just giving a hand. Mm-hmm. So if you needed some help, I, we can give a give a hand to yeah. the to the hostel. the The person was um, went away for for the winter and so we would stay in the hostel and there was a few people coming it's not very busy during the yeah yeah oh you guys got very fortunate then yeah so yeah we were very very we actually it was very um we really believe that there's a synchronicities along the way and that in a way we kind of guided to go in some places and so that day when we arrived it it was we just cycled maybe five thousand kilometer between alaska and the yukon and we arrived in uh one of one of the only time we, we could reach a campground and we arrive in the campground and there was a bear there. There's a mummy bear with a cub and, hmm. uh, and it was not possible to stay. So somebody said, Oh, you should go back a little bit and go to, to Haines junction. And, uh, yeah. and you know, there's a guest house there and you can pitch your tent on one of the platform. And so we would never stop there otherwise probably. And, uh, we arrived there and, um, and that's how we ended up staying for seven months in the Yukon. Fantastic. And it's so beautiful. It's just like, I wanted yeah, to go this summer actually, with my wife and I'm like, it's just not going to work out this year, but man, is it something else? Yeah. And so Instruction is a, is a small community, 160 kilometers from, White, from Whitehorse. So it's a very mm-hmm. small community, but it's at the foot of the Tuani Mountains. So the Tuani Mountains is one of the, it's a huge national park where where Mount Logan, the highest peak of, uh, of Canada, stands. Yeah. It's about 6,000 meter elevation. And so I think that the 6,000 meter elevation is about the dimension of everything that is up there. Um, there's the biggest non-polar ice field there. And when you're there, everything is just gigantic and wide. Mm-hmm. So it's a very, very powerful place. Yeah. And, and I think actually, the, oh, I was going to say, I think eight of the 10 highest peaks in North America are there as well. Something like that. Some, yeah. Yeah. My previous guest, Fedor, he went to Haynes Junction and maybe you even met him because I think he stayed in a guest house when he went there. So um, he was cycling last summer with me. Oh, maybe you weren't there at that time. I don't remember. 
and we went up to Whitehorse, and then he, I left, and then he was doing some touring around Yukon. So, mm-hmm. what was his name? Fedor Hitz, H R I C. No. No. Huh? Slovakian guy. No, we don't know him. No, no, no. We didn't met. Okay. So, on average, how much time do you spend camping versus other means of accommodation? Um. So most of the time we camp. Mm-hmm. We camp a lot. It's it's difficult to say like that, but we camping most of the time. Uh, when um, in Canada, we've been camping a lot. We use a little bit a warm shower, a mm-hmm. few places. I think maybe ten times maximum, and um, and so most of the time it's 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 wild camping. Uh, sometimes if we can reach a campground, it's in the campground, and um, and yeah, that's that's about it. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, in, in Canada, for example, we've never been to a hotel or guest house. No, huh? No. And in Lac Saint Jean, you guys are renting or house? In Lac Saint Jean, we're renting. Yeah, you're renting. it was the. Um, so we we usually in in Canada and Quebec, there's quite a lot of place that you can home home sit mm-hmm. for the winter. But at the moment, with the pandemic, everybody is staying in Canada and not yeah. going to the US, of course. And uh, of course, also the everybody that is living in the town in the cities want to get out of the cities so mm-hmm. it was pretty difficult to find something we're actually quite happy to to have found something in in quebec we when actually when we arrived in in montreal we opened the world map and and really opened every door we could and said well we kind of said to the universe just show us where we're supposed to go because at the moment we don't really know what is the right solution for us and we ended up up here and it's just perfect we have a um, we have the frozen lake just out our doorstep, and uh, that's our huge playground for the mm. winter. And I'm sure the girls are having so much fun. Oh, yeah. Nile actually slept. She did some uh, winter camping by minus 20 the other day, so she was pretty excited about that. Nice. So are you guys, I know now winter's nearly over for Canada. I think the next two weeks are going to have a, an amazing amount of melting snow because it's going to be incredibly warm. Are you guys planning to keep cycling east? Yeah, that's the idea at the moment. We don't really know how if the Maritimes, the Atlantic bubble is going to open or not. So we'll see how it, how it goes. But the idea is to cycle east and then probably go to Iceland and then Northern oh, Europe. Okay. Um, but we don't really know how long we can, like we don't know how long we can really stay in Canada. We don't know if the Atlantic bubble is going to open um, so there's a lot of, of course, as you know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of uh, unknown. Yeah. Plus the pandemic. Can we talk of money? How do you guys afford to do this? I mean, I, I mean, I do understand that bike touring people can keep it pretty frugal and, and on the low cost budget, but 10 years is a long time. So how do you manage it? Yeah. Yeah. 10 years is a long time. Um, basically, we, when we left, we... We managed to find a, a newspaper that um, that allowed to to publish some articles. So we are um, we're writing some article for Swiss newspaper that we get paid um, monthly, mm-hmm. and then that just cover part of our of our expenses. And then we wrote our book, uh, Nomad in the Heart of the Elements. We wrote it in French and English, and then uh, we do some talks along the way. And um, and a few other articles. Xavier did some photo exhibition, and here and there, uh, 
that's okay just to keep living. Oh, very, very, very cool. All right. Yeah, I think it's just a matter of finding a way to to use your experiences to to make a little bit of money along the way is quite necessary. And I think you're sponsored by Montbell, I believe, right? Since I see a lot of Montbell in your pictures. Yeah. yeah, after five years on the on the road, we had a few partnership. So basically Xavier is taking some pictures for the company and um and then we get some um we get sponsored like a we get we get some mostly equipment. Yeah. But yeah, we have a few partnership with a few different uh, brands. Okay. And can't complain. Malbell's fantastic. For people that don't know, they're a Japanese brand. They're kind of like mountain equipment co-op of Japan and uh, really, really good quality stuff and very affordable. So I'm a big fan. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in Japan, it's a pretty amazing, but the, 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 the quality is very, it's high, high quality. Yeah. yeah. My and sleeping bag is a Mal- Malbell sleeping bag, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to share? I, I've kind of run through my gamut of questions and I thought maybe there's some things you want to share that I've kind of missed. Um, so, yeah. So now we're still cycling around the great Northern horizon. Um, so as you understand, we went in, in, in Northern, um, Northern Japan. Then we cycled in Siberia, Mongolia, uh, through China, North to East, uh, North to South, sorry. Then we went to Alaska, we're cycling across Canada. And as I said, the idea is to cycle eastern part of Canada and then go to um, Iceland and uh, Northern Europe. So that's the main idea, the main project. Um, I, I think, as you understand, we don't really have a, an end to that, mm-hmm. to that. It's really become our life, we're becoming nomads. Um, but at the same time, what we learn with all these years of experience, just diving in the unknown, is that we don't know what's going to happen in the future. And so for us, it's still every day a choice. We choose to be nomad. And we know that if one of us at one point is not in balance anymore, if somebody really needs something else, and it can be one of the girls too, that really start expressing that they need something else, then we just find another way and just create another life and uh, and do something else. That's beautiful. So that's, uh, that's the idea for the future. and And I like to say that, Really, when we look back at everything that happened, there's so many times, um, you know, the, the bear that ended up, like, led us to Ains Junction, that led us to spend a winter in the amazing, magical Yukon, and, uh, and you know, seeing the northern light, experimenting the northern light. And then we, you know, we've been one time uh, in Australia, I was saying, we, we cycle across the, the Nullarbor Desert, but then... The only day when we just went out of the Nullarbor Desert, there was a huge heat wave that eat us, and it was plus 53 degrees. And that day, we could reach the ocean. There was, you know, the timing was amazing. And we could actually swim in the ocean that mm. day when the heat wave eat us, and it was plus 53 degrees. And so there's, when we look back, there's so many times where things were just at the perfect timing it was just nearly impossible that it happened. And so we really have the feeling that we're guided. As I said, we follow the wind, but I think we really do uh, follow the wind and we're really guided. And so I think that um, whatever you do, really listen to your intuition, listen to, you know, what feels inside you, because really there's no limit to the life you can imagine, even as a family. So I like to see, you know, really breathe in the power of the earth to really live the magic of your life. Mm. 
and uh, and manifest it in the world. Fantastic. And where can people find more stuff about you guys if they want to follow or or search for your books or anything like that? Oh yeah. Um, so you can find us on uh, our website. It's three w dot y l i a dot c h. So y l i a dot c h. It's called ilia uh, ilia dot c h. Okay. And um, and so there's all the information about that. We're doing also some webinars. Um, if you're interested, we so um, we open to you can contact us if you want to organize one. We have different themes like walking hand in hand with your fears or trusting life, and um, and also we um, we have our books on our on our website and the children of the world. So there's quite a lot of information, and um, and yeah, if you need more technical information, there's not so many technical information. It's more the dream part of the journey and a lot of pictures. Um, but uh, if you need more technical information, you can always uh, send us an email. Yeah, we didn't talk about bikes or anything at all, which is interesting. But I, I really enjoyed our talk today. I think it was um, from a very different perspective and it was just a, a beautiful thing. So thank you so much, Celine. Thank you. Thank you very much. And of course, to the rest of the family, uh, just following this conversation here with Celine and I, there's a few questions, Q&A with Nyla. And I um, hope you guys enjoy. Hi. Hey, Trin. Are you, is this Nyla? Yes. Ah, how old are you, Nyla? Um, seven. Seven years old. Okay. And do you like riding your bike? Yes. Yeah? What do you carry in your bags? I was just wondering. I saw your pictures. Uh, I was carrying um, some sleeping bag uh-huh. and, and my toys your toys oh that's good does it ever get boring when you're riding your bike no no wow okay can i ask you who's a better storyteller mom or dad who's uh, better mom mommy's a better storyteller nice mm-hmm. <laughs> What do you like to do for fun? Mm, I like to play in the nature. Ooh, playing in nature. And do you like do you like summer nature or winter nature? Uh, both. Both. Okay. And I think I heard that you're a pretty good dancer, or I read that. Mm. Do you like dancing? Yes. Yes. Okay. Do you have a favorite country that you like the most so far? Yes. Which country? Japan. Japan. Oh. What did you like about Japan? The the sakuras. The sakura? It's, yeah. Ah. What is it? It's it's um the, the cherry tree. The cherry tree. Yeah, the cherry blossoms. Ah, yes. and did you go to the Sakura in Kyoto or a different city? Um, yeah, in in Kyoto. In Kyoto, it's so beautiful mm-hmm. with all the beautiful temples, right? Yes. Yeah. What country has the best food, Nela? The what? The best, the yummiest food. Um, Malaysia. I agree with you, Nela. You know why? Because I lived in Malaysia for, um. Seven years, 
and I miss their food so much. Very yummy. Yeah, it's really yummy. Yeah. I was born there also. You were born there. We were going to talk about that. Yeah, you were born in Penang, right? Yeah. I love Penang. What a beautiful little island. Mm-hmm. Oh, can I ask you, what kind of animals have you seen, Nayla? Um, I seen bears. Wow. Uh, whales and also um, lynx, kangaroos, uh, camels, and and many, 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 many animals. And I heard, and I think I read that you got to pet the lynx when it was sleeping. Yeah. Was that cool? Yes, it was cool. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Nail. Is it Nayla or Nyla? Nyla. Nyla. I'm sorry for calling you Nayla. Thank you so much, Nyla. Thank you. Au revoir. Bye. Bye-bye. Au revoir. All right. That was so fun. Thank you. That's, that's so easy. They're a little bit shy sometimes. Yeah, no doubt. I'm a teacher, actually, so... <laughs> So yeah, so you know how to how to get them speaking. That was pretty good. Hey everyone, before we end this podcast, I'd like to tell you about some of Bike Tour Adventures' other amazing partners. I'm very proud to be supported by Brockton Cyclery, a Toronto-based bike shop dedicated to bike touring and bikepacking. Carrying many of the top bike touring and bikepacking brands, I can honestly say that they have helped me to build the most durable and fast bikepacking bike possible. We're also supported by Race Day Fuel. Their mission is to ensure that you consume the very best and appropriate food and beverage for the task at hand. Working with top brands such as Scratch, Noon, and Untapped, they have all your nutrition needs taken care of. For discount codes, check out the show notes or go to the Bike Tour Adventures website. I just want to thank once again Celine, Javier, Nyla, and Phoebe for being uh, being on the show, or well, I should say Celine for being on the show and Nyla. And I really appreciate the family taking the time to, to share their plethora of experiences and information about traveling as a family unit. I think it's very different than most people could even imagine. So I think it's a fantastic episode to, to help build that motivation for people that might consider something or that type of adventure. I know. I would love to do something like that, if not 10 years maybe, but even for a year as a family unit, I think it would be really, really cool. So that is the end of episode 49. And next episode, episode 50, I have some massive news for you listeners out there. So stay tuned and uh, we'll be talking real soon. Thanks and keep on pedaling. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me and keep me going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have questions or comments, you can email me at bike at bikepackadventures.ca or go to bikepackadventures.ca and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, bikepacking routes throughout Canada, blog posts, videos, and touring tips. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you are enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bikepackadventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. 
You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, help me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on pedaling. <laughs>